ministry better. And one way that we thought we could make our children's ministry better is to find a good and present way to communicate our mission and values here at Living Water. So Children's Ministry's mission statement is to glorify God by connecting all kinds of kids with the saving message of the gospel and teaching those who believe to be the church. We want to share the gospel with these boys and girls. We believe that they have the ability to learn to know, love, and obey God. We also believe that, that they should be the church themselves. So we want to teach the kids who come to know Jesus how to be the church for themselves. As we were thinking about the best way to do this, we wanted to create something that would be a, a very present reminder, something that the kids would see often that could point their minds into to what God is doing. And so what we came up with was actually a new name for children's ministry. Children's ministry is now going to be called Lighthouse Kids, which is why we're up here in the Lighthouse of Living Water. We want our kids to know that they need to be a light to the community around them. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and can give glory to your Father who's in heaven. We want our kids to know that there is safety in Jesus. We want them to come to Living Water, to learn about Jesus, and to feel safe. The world is dark and scary, but Jesus shines light into the darkness. We also want our kids to be lighthouses for others. We want them to go and tell their family and their friends about the good news of Jesus. We want to teach them how to be the church. That's why Living Water's Children's Ministry exists. And we hope that by, by having Lighthouse Kids, our kids are able to grasp that in a better way, along with our parents and our families. So we hope that you are excited about what God is doing in children's ministry. Uh, he is working in big ways and many kids are coming to know the Lord in a better way because of Living Water's Lighthouse Kids. So we hope that you'll celebrate with us. We had a little bit of a party on Wednesday night and the kids were so excited about what God's doing. So we hope that you're excited too. In Living Water, uh, my name is Harry, um, and I have the, the privilege of serving on staff here as the high school director, uh, and I'm super excited to be here this morning. Uh, I just want to give a special welcome to, to everyone here, if this is your first time, or whether you've been here a hundred times. Uh, we just are so glad you're here. Uh, if you're joining us online, uh, thank you for, uh, for tuning in. And, um, now, before we get started, I have some instructions for you guys. And you might be thinking, well, why are there instructions? I'm supposed to just sit here quietly and wait until it's time to leave. But that's not what's going to happen this morning. If you guys haven't noticed, uh, there are children in the service with us and students, and uh, we sang some kids' songs, and that means it's family worship. And so what we wanted to do is make sure that, that this service incorporated all generations, um, from, from our youngest to our oldest. We wanted to be able to engage all of them throughout uh, the message. And so my instructions are this. They're very simple, but I need everyone's participation. Last night, everyone participated, and it was fantastic, so I need everyone's participation. What's going to happen is at various times throughout my message, you're going to hear me use the phrase, bomb diggity, okay? Now, when I hear this phrase, that is your cue that something is about to happen, and that you are actually going to be required 
to do something. So anytime I say that phrase, you will then immediately stand up and prepare to do whatever it is that I'm doing. I need you just to blindly follow me and mimic exactly what I'm doing, okay? Regardless to, to what you might think about it. There is a point to this, and it's going to be fantastic. But what we're going to do is we're going to practice. So in my sermon, I might say something to the effect of, this is going to be a bomb diggity service. It's your cue. Great. Everyone stands, right? And then you do what I do. You rub your belly, pat your head, right? Or maybe you do some jazz hands, Right? You're just going to follow me. I'm not going to necessarily prompt you with what I'm doing. You just do what I do. And then when I go back to what I'm saying, that's your cue to sit down. Okay, so you guys go ahead and sit down. That was a fantastic practice. Thank you so much for indulging me in that. Now, um, as I said before, I'm the high school director, um, and that means I get to work with students. I, I love working with students. Um, I don't see myself doing anything different anytime soon. I think God has called me to that, and, and I really enjoy Working with students. Now, some people who we're not going to name think that my joy for student ministry is actually based in a, a desire to not really grow up and just want to continue to act like a teenager. Uh, they're probably not wrong, but, but that's not the real reason why I love student ministry. In fact, the, the main reason that I love student ministry is, is when I get to see things kind of click for students. When, when we're explaining some, some theological concepts or going through some uh, a deep understanding and it starts to click and the light on their face just kind of, oh, that makes sense. That moment to me is, is why I love student ministry. Let me explain this a little better. A few weeks ago, we had an event called Merge. Fantastic event. And if you helped volunteer at that, we sincerely thank you for all that you did. We could not have done the event without you. Um, but if I'm being honest, uh, skipped a line. Um, we had 21 students actually come to accept Christ at that event. 21 students stood up and accepted Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's great. And I hope and pray that every single one of them, that that profession was genuine and true, and they are going to actually follow Jesus Christ because of that profession. And, and while there's 21 of them, and that's great, if I'm being honest, that's not actually what got me excited. That's not my favorite part of that event. The favorite part of that event was what came after. See, I got the opportunity to speak with three of those students, only three of 21, and I got to explain to them and help them understand what their actions that night actually meant. And as we're talking, that light came on. Their, their face just kind of lit up, and they're like, that's, that's what I need to do. That's how I need to move from, from just simply head knowledge about Jesus and, and, and my faith to actually living out my faith and actually being in a relationship with Jesus. It was, it was that transition point. And that's what is great about student ministry. And so what we're going to do this morning is actually talk about the very first youth group and that point of transition for them. That, that point where they, this is the original youth group. And if I'm being honest, I think these are, these are a group of bomb diggity dudes. There you go, that's a cue, right? Fantastic. Yeah, I think they were awesome. And here's the thing, you guys actually know these 12, right? You, you, you could probably name every single one of them. You probably haven't perceived them as a youth group before, but they are, right? They, they are the 12 disciples. What you're probably picturing is something similar to this, right? 12 30-year-old dudes all have beards, kind of running around, uh, um, following Jesus, who's also a 30-year-old dude with a beard. That's not actually a biblically accurate depiction, right? They might look closer to this. Now, not really. That's actually from our Burley weekend. Um, that was from a student ministry event that we had where our guys, there's more than 12 of them. I know. I counted. Um, it's fine. But the reality is they were likely teenagers, not 30-year-old guys, right? The, the reality is, now, you're probably wondering at this point, like, no, they did some adult things. I'm pretty sure they're adults. We've always perceived them as adults, and that's fine. But, but the thing is, the Bible never gives us their ages, one way or the other. It never tells us they are, in fact, teenagers. It never tells us that they aren't. 
Um, but it does give us some indicating factors that actually help us uh, come to a deeper understanding of the reality that they were probably teenagers. Let me explain. Uh, when, uh, in the first century Jewish culture, you, you would uh, start at five years old, your schooling. Quite similar to, to now. Students start uh, kindergarten around five. Um, but you would start your schooling at five, and you would, your, your schooling would consist of an intentional studying and memorization of the Torah. That, would, that was it. That was your primary schooling. And by the age of 12, if you were really good at memorizing uh, uh, the Torah and you, you really enjoyed the studying, you would then go and seek uh, a rabbi who would become your uh, mentor, and you would apprentice under him until you're 30. And at that point, you would then start taking on your own apprentices. Now, if at the age of 12, you're like, you know, I, I sucked at school, I don't like studying, I wasn't good at memorizing anything at all, what you would do is instead of seeking a rabbi, you would go and work with your dad. You would start apprenticing under whatever your dad's, uh, your father's trade is. Um, and then you would continue to work for the next three to five years until your parents decide to start marrying you off. Um, especially if you were female, that's what would happen is around age 14 or 15, uh, you would be sent off to get married. Uh, and that's kind of the reality that, that, that first century Jewish children would live in. Now, uh, in that, we, we know that um, you're kind of functioning in this weird, like, pseudo-adult stage, right? You can get married, you could work, but you're still a teenager. You don't have real uh, responsibilities at that point. Um, again, at least until your parents find you a bomb-diggity spouse. Fantastic. Awesome. I love watching you guys do the hokey pokey. That was great. Okay, so, so here we go, right? They, they find you a bomb diggy spouse, and, and that's kind of how things would go. Now, based on this information, we can kind of confirm that the disciples were at least 12, right? They were all pulled out of some kind of trade, right? We know a lot of them were fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. They were pulled out of some kind of workforce uh, at some level, so we can determine that they are at least 12. Now, the reality is at least 12 could also mean 30, Right? So we still haven't actually disproved that they were 30-year-olds, but I want to look at a passage that might help give us kind of a clue into that. Matthew chapter 17, uh, verse 24 through 27. If you'd like to follow along, it'll be on the screen, or you can turn in your Bibles there. Matthew 17, verse 24 says this. When they came to Capernaum, the tax collectors of the two Darchman tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay? And he said, yes. And when he came to the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From who do kings of the earth take toll or taxes? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when it, comes, uh, or when it opens its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. You see, the first century Jewish uh, uh, temple didn't consider you adult until they could take your money through a form of tax. Um, that tax was collected at the age of 20. Anyone under the age of 20 didn't actually pay tax. So in this passage we just read, Jesus instructs Peter to get taxes for Jesus, who we know is 30, and Peter, who we can now assume is at least 20. Um, but that's it. No one else had to pay tax. None of the other 11 disciples seemed to have to pay tax, at least based on the text. This would, while it doesn't give us a definitive picture, it does give us a, a, a kind of conclusion that we can draw that 
Peter was probably the only one of the disciples that was at least 20. And that simply means he was the youth leader, while the other 11 were part of the youth group, right? Now, these 12 were specifically chosen as teenagers to, to serve God to some capacity. They were specifically chosen for a very real reason. And that's what we're actually going to focus on this morning, is their call. Remember, I told you we're going to talk about the point where the light kind of clicks on for them. Um, so I want to talk about their call. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to, chapter, or to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read a few verses there. But before we do that, I want to just kind of give you a, a preemptive of what's happening here at this point. Jesus um, has, has uh, got to, to, to uh, right by the sea, and he sees uh, all of these people are gathering. So he decides he's going to teach. So he hops in some dude's boat and tells him to row out a little bit. And they go out uh, just offshore, and Jesus teaches. After he's done teaching, he gets some hankering for some fish. So he tells the guy, hey, we're going to go out, and we're going to go uh, just a little bit further. I'm going to get you guys to cast your net out, and we're going to ca- catch some fish. Um, and Peter, or Simon at that point, whose boat it is, um, who has been fishing all night, he's tired, he doesn't really want to do it. He kind of gives this, well, okay, I guess if you really say that this is going to work, we'll go ahead and we'll do that. We're going to go out. And, and they do that, but he's not really confident that they're going to catch anything. And he throws the net over, and they start pulling in so many fish that the boat starts to sink. Him and his friends, their minds are blown. And this is what Luke says in chapter, or chapter 5, verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so uh, were James and John and sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when uh, they had brought their boats in, they left everything and followed him. See, this is one of the first calls that we see of the disciples. It's Luke's account uh, of of the calling of the disciples. And, And the calling seems very simple. So here's what we're going to do. Um, well, I think, I mean, the calling's simple, but I think it would be awesome to be able to walk with Jesus. I don't know about you guys. As someone who's followed Jesus, I think to be able to spend three years with Jesus is great. I think it would have been bomb diggity. Ready? got the entire congregation to do the chicken dance. It's great. Okay, here we go. Listen, so I think it would have been bomb to you to walk with Jesus. That's not actually cute. Don't stand back up. Um, right, but, but the, the fact is um, that, that these guys are kids. So let's do this. I, I want everyone under the age of 18 stand up. If you are under the age of 18, just stand up right where you are. Stand up. I, I see some people who are under the age of 18 who are like, I'm not going to do it. Do it. Just, just, it's fine. Okay, now I want you to turn to your parents and I want you to go like this. Go, peace out. I'm leaving. For three years, I'm going to follow some random dude around for a camping trip with whatever I have on my back. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to be persecuted and hated simply because I'm with him. And then when I get back, I'm going to plant a church, which is going to be the hardest thing that I've ever had to do, and I'm going to die for it. How many of you guys are coming with me? Man, you guys are braver than I will be. Listen, that pitch doesn't sound very good to me. Right? I would have been like, no, you're crazy. You guys can go ahead and have a seat for me. Right? I I would not have done that. But that's reality. That's what Jesus is asking. But that's not the pitch that Jesus gives, right? Jesus says, no, you're going to become fisher of men. I just want you to follow me. Just just come with me, and things are going to be okay. That's the call that Jesus gives the disciples. That's the same call that we get as believers, it's the exact same thing that, that God asks of us. He doesn't give us this long, drawn-out speech of, hey, here's all the terrible things that will happen in your life. He just simply says, follow me. 
Right? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as your apostle and high priest. Ephesians 4, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, uh, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called, with all humanity and gentleness, with patience, bearing uh, with one another in love. See, as believers, we are called to focus on Jesus and follow him. That's it. That's the bare minimum of the calling. We don't get the, hey, everything's going to suck later. We don't get the, hey, things are going to go bad. All he's asking for us is, is to focus on him and follow him. That's what the disciples are called, and it's a simple calling. And just like the disciples, though, they messed up, we mess up. I think we mess up that calling on a daily basis. Disciples, are, they're teenagers. They were bound to make mistakes, right? That's just the reality of it. And if we look through their life, we can see the mistakes of it. And, and here's what uh, the disciples do. And it's exactly what we would do. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 21. I'll give you guys a second while I get some water. John chapter 1 says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. Simon, uh, Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, uh, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, well, we'll go with you. When they went out, they went to the boat that night, and they caught nothing. I, I just want you to let that passage sink in a little bit. You see, remember, these guys just spent three years walking shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. Right? There, there could not have been a more intimate time with Jesus that any person that has ever walked this planet has had than what the disciples had. And they spent three years doing it. And then Jesus has died. And they were sad, but then Jesus came back to life and has already revealed themselves to them. I don't know about you, but that would spur me on to action. But that's not what the disciples do. See, the disciples go fishing. Right? They go back to what was easy and what was comfortable. They go back to what they did before Jesus as if Jesus was never even a relevant part of their lives. They go back to what was easy and comfortable. And I think that's the same thing that you and I do regularly. You see, if you call yourself a believer in this room, you at some point in time have had a moment with Jesus. There, there's been an interaction. Sometimes it's as grandiose as Paul on the road to Damascus. Sometimes it's as subtle as a whisper. But the reality is, if you call yourself a believer, you have had a moment with Jesus. And how many of us, so frequently, after that moment happens, just immediately go back to what we're doing? Go back to the, to the things that we are comfortable with. We go back fishing, right? We go back to the same sin, the, the same uh, desire to ignore those in need, the same pursuit of, of earthly gains, the same fill in the blank, right? Whatever it is that is easy and comfortable for you because that's uh, uh, what you think is right. It, but that's not what Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to follow him. And in a moment, I'm gonna have some students come up here. And these students were students that were on our mission trip. Um, they're going to get an opportunity to explain to you some of the awesome things that God did in and through them while we were on this trip this last summer. But before we get there, I want to give you guys a story. It's about the mission trip. And this story has a main point. And I think the main point of the story is the same point that we can gather from our, our, our disciples today. And so I'm going to give you the story, then I'm going to give you the point and give you kind of the quick explanation of that, right? So while we were on this trip this past year, I believe it was on Tuesday um, of that week, um, so the students can attest to this if they've been on an overnight trip with me. My wife can attest to this. Um, there's times where I just wake up weird. 
I, I don't know how else to say that. I don't have any other, I just kind of wake up in a funny mood. Like the things that pop into my head are really random and irrelevant and, and sometimes don't really make sense, but, but it happens and usually it goes away very quickly after I get some coffee in. Um, but you know, that, that just kind of happens. So I believe it was on Tuesday, I woke up like this and, and the trip leader who was uh, with us for Leader Treks, they, they um, her and I were trying to give our student leaders um, their challenge for the day. They're, they're, hey, here's some things that you need to work on. Here's some things that you can improve. It's a process of our mission trip, right? We have two students who completely lead every aspect of our trip, and we simply act as guides for them. And so, so we're kind of giving them their, their challenges for the day, and she's being a responsible adult and giving real challenges, and I'm in my funny mood. And I, I just throw out the challenge of, hey, you know what? You need to get, uh, you need to use the phrase bomb diggity in your announcements at least seven times. That wasn't you. Yeah. There, there you go, right? The second challenge that I gave them is they had to use jazz hands at least seven times in their announcement that same day, right? So, so these are some challenges that I gave these students. And they came out of this place of just kind of a weird mood. However, after the coffee had settled in and, and, and took an, taken effect, I went back to, to kind of a, a normal state and I started processing these challenges. I, I realized there's actually a benefit to these challenges. These challenges could be good. So, so what we did is, is we decided to continue giving them challenges. We gave them a challenge every day. Some of the days it was, you know, I had to get the entire team to do the hokey pokey without any kind of prompting. Or uh, I had to get them to do the chicken dance in the same manner. Yes, I have completed every challenge that we gave the students so far in this lesson. Just want to throw that out there. But here's the thing. They had to wrap instructions. They had to, to sing happy birthday to a student 16 times in a single day. Right? They had to sing Wheels on the Bus uh, uh, so many times when driving on the bus. Uh, and they had all these crazy challenges. And they continued to get ridiculous and harder and harder each day. But here's the point. Student leaders could have at any point in time given up. They, there's no penalty. We weren't going to send them home if they didn't complete my ridiculous challenges. Right? There was no reason for that. They could have given up, but what they did instead is they met every challenge head on and they continued to follow through. They continued to, to go uh, and ultimately did get uh, a reward at the end. They got to challenge me and uh, the, the trip leader to, to do our own challenges that day uh, or at the very last day, and that's great. But, but here's the thing. I think that's what God asks us to do sometimes. You see, regardless of how ridiculous the challenge that we meet in life gets— Regardless how, how hard or difficult or painful things seem to get, there, there are going to be challenges in our lives. And, and all that God actually asks for is some follow-through. We see this in the life of the disciples, too. Let's go back to John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. You see, Jesus had, had revealed himself again to the disciples after they went back fishing. And, and Peter got so excited, he dove out of the boat and he swam back to shore, um, and this is the conversation Jesus and Peter had while on shore. It says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17, he says, He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said this to a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and, uh, will dress you, or, uh, and others will dress you 
and you will carry, uh, and carry you to where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. The disciples would go on to launch the church. They would do incredible things, and they would ultimately all but one die due to persecution because of following Jesus. Jesus was asking the hardest thing of them, but he did it in a very simple way. Follow me. You see, the disciples went back to what's comfortable, and Jesus asked them for some follow-through. He said, no, I'm gone, but you need to continue this. You need to, to continue following through. And that's all that Jesus actually asks of us, is to follow him with some follow-through. And so, I have some questions for you. Where in your life have you gone back fishing? Have you gone back to what's comfortable? After you've had your moment with Jesus, after you've had that time where you, you were excited about your faith and, and knowing who he is, where have you gone back that's comfortable? Where in your life do you need to actively follow through on your walk? Right? Are there people that you engage with on a daily basis who don't even know you're a Christian? because you've yet to actually follow through on expressing what that, that faith means? Are, are there people in your life that, that, you know, are bringing you down and ultimately pulling you away from Christ that you need to potentially cut out? That's going to allow you to follow through with your walk. What risks do you need to take? Is God calling you to do something radical in your life that might create a massive shockwave through the things that you know? But if that's what God's calling you, do you have some follow through? Are you going to follow him with some follow-through. In a moment, I'm going to get the students to come up here. I'm going to pray, and then as soon as I say amen, I want all the students who are part of the mission trip, if you were here uh, this morning, join me up on stage, um, and we're going to continue with some, some stuff. You guys are going to get to hear from them, um, which is going to be uh, just a fantastic time. So let me pray. God, you are so good. You call, your, uh, call us to yourself out of undeserved grace. And you ask so little of us only to follow you and to do it with, with abandoned follow-through. You love us in a way that we could never repay. And I pray that everyone in this room comes to a place where, where you speak into their lives and turn that light on for them to bring a point of understanding, just like you did for the disciples, of who you are. And I pray that if, you, uh, uh, if they do call you Father, if you have already made that call, Lord, that they start living with some follow-through. And in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, mission team, go ahead and come on up for me. Chris, I got the blue mic. <laughs>